OK, here to review this Sunday papers uh, are the boss of the Communications Clinic, Terry Prone, former Cabinet Minister uh, Pat Rabbit, uh, TD, and the Sunday Times columnist and former Government Advisor Cormac Lucy. You're all very welcome. Um, let's start with that horror, Terry, in, in Carrick Mines. Very difficult. I mean, words are pretty much useless at a time like this, aren't they? Yeah, because um, fire is such a horrific death. And the fact that it was incredibly quick, the fact that it killed so many people, I was inevitably drawn back to the Stardust because in the direct aftermath of the Stardust, I got involved with some of the people who were providing help to the parents, the bereaved people. And it struck me that within hours last night, um, the travellers' organisations had pulled together and were uh, providing counselling and other assistance to the people surrounding the the uh, caravans that went up in flames. And I thought that was very good. Sometimes the traveller organisations are, like Pavi Point, are really, really good mm. at rescuing the survivors because that's often the worst and most difficult task. Yeah, um, Pat Rabbit, um, some talk in the paper that, well, Environment Minister Alan Kelly calling for uh, an investigation um, it's I mean it's too early to start even thinking about sort of the the cause. I mean some talk about overcrowding, but um, South Dublin County Council saying look this this wasn't a, a factor uh, in this case. Yeah, Dunleary County Council has said. Oh, sorry, uh, Dunleary, right. Yeah, they, they've said that they're <coughs> satisfied that they're what it, it's not a safety issue, uh, which seems a you know a very assertive statement at uh, this early. But I agree with you. I mean this it was such a horror uh, and such a poignant tragedy that, you know, the forensic people will in due course uh, trace over it and, you know, that aspect of it will be looked at in the interim. It is just a family tragedy of such a proportion that, uh, as you say, it bears comparison with the with the stardust. Um, we haven't seen anything like it since, thankfully, and this is just appalling. And let's hope that it wasn't because of some defect or, or safety uh, uh, lapse. Cormac Well, I, I'd be concerned that there is a safety lapse in a lot of our houses. You know, there's no evidence of any great effort from, by these people to escape. You know, one presumes they died in their sleep. And I think we've a systematic problem with fire alarms. The majority of people's fire alarms are battery operated. The batteries expire. People aren't testing their fire alarms. Uh, and I just don't understand why those smoke alarms aren't something you can plug into the wall and let operate and not have to worry about the batteries. Mm. Well, they are. You can get ones that are... But the majority are, are, are But the, are you're right, the majority are battery and, and, and they're not tested. And I know I mean, in our house we've, we've lost them and they're not... I'm allowed to test them now, but I, I haven't tested them for several years. Mm. And I, I think that's the big problem, that if, if the victims of this appalling tragedy uh, had, had, had been alerted to the, the disaster unfolding, they may well have been able to get out uh, and, and, and the way it happened suggests they weren't aware. Yeah, look, a, a, a dreadful time for uh, all those, just an, an appalling tragedy. I think everybody's, the, the whole nation's thoughts are, are with them. Um, the other, I suppose, breaking story, um, and the other big story this weekend, uh, Pat Rabbit, is uh, David Drum's arrest in, in Boston. And uh, it looks like, well, certainly extradition hearing. Um, it's taken quite a while to get to this, but it, it does seem like the wheels are, are, are finally moving on, on this extradition. It does, yes. Uh, yes, and probably the less we say about the particular case, uh, the better. 
but uh, there isn't any doubt uh, about the ranking that Irish people give to the question of uh, bankers generally being made amenable uh, for some of the more manifest uh, lapses that took place that brought us all to the verge of ruin. So, uh, you know, uh, the fact that uh, the fact that this particular case is progressing, even if it has taken a long time, and presuming that the warrant will be granted, uh, I think is, uh, is is a positive. And I think it is important that uh, Mr. Drum returns to this country and is seen to answer the charges that are laid. Mm. Kerry Pohl, do you agree I think this is a fascinating story. I think it's it's like stepping back to when journalism was journalism. The Sunday and Doug got a great one on this one and they have five different writers on it and they're looking at all aspects of it. The one thing that they don't explain, I don't think, is why US Marshals, I'm not desperately clear on what the function of a US Marshal is as opposed to sheriffs and cops and all mm. that jazz, but that's largely irrelevant. But they say that sources suggest that the DPP has directed Mr. Drum be charged with up to 30 offences following joint investigation by the Garda Bureau of Fraud and the Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement. Now, 30 offences is a lot of offences. If you backtrack from that, then what you clearly need is extradition. And once the public holiday that happens on tomorrow in the United States is over, uh, Mr. Drum will be in court facing, you know, can we extradite you charges? Mm. And after that, something will happen. I'm picking up on what Pat said. I think that there will be a general reaction of fair do's good because people believe that bankers in general, but particularly the Anglo guys, have not really suffered the way the general public in its merciful way would want them to well, suffer. A, num- a number of them have suffered. I mean, ah, come on. Two people went to prison and well, for not for pivotal charges, not for well, that is the contribution. That is suffering, absolutely. But the I mean, fact is that the people like Drum... I, absolutely, and in my view, disproportionate. Well, I'm not allowed to have a view on this, but it no, seemed are. to me you're that they, that the woman involved, uh, who was sentenced to a very severe custodial sentence, I thought that was excessive. By comparison with what? There is nothing. There is no custodial sentence to anybody else at the very top. But we, we just who, need to be careful because yes. there, there are pass- there are uh, cases uh, pending in that regard. Just just before I go to Cormac, it, it must have been quite. It must be quite a strange existence for someone in, in, in who's lived as David Drum has lived for the last was it five six or six years. years presumably with this day or the possibility of this day arising hanging over him. He must have lived in a fetal crouch for the last six years because yes you can establish some kind of normality but you know that your limited amount of money unless it's unlimited is going to run out and you know that sooner or later logically the US Marshals are going to arrive mm. and psychologically I and before that Charlie Bird arriving at your door as well <laughs> and that's much worse <laughs> than the US Marshals but I would suspect that when he saw them coming that there was actually a sense of relief okay right it's over mm, Cormac Lucy well I, I think that's a good point from Terry and uh, you'd wonder whether David Drum was acting in his own best long term interests fleeing to the United States rather than staying here. And facing the music. Facing the music and, and trying to rebuild his life here where his connections are uh, and, and where his, you know, he knows people and he could actually try and make a go of things. 
whereas he was always going to be <clears throat> in a sort of suspended animation over in the United States. And, and the other problem he face would face is there's so many laws in the statute books right now. If the authorities decided that I was public enemy number one, they're bound to be able to find something mm. to, to get me on. So He was uh, never going to stay there indefinitely, basically. Is that the... Probably not. Or it was going to be difficult and the sort of existence he would be reducing himself to would raise the question, you know, what's the whole, what was the point of it? I mean, the ire of the public hasn't debated on this issue, you know, and when you are reduced to explaining the separation of powers and that it's not the task of any minister or minister for justice warrants, for or the government to serve warrants or uh, uh, test uh, chaps' collars and, and, and uh, bring them up. When to you say it hasn't abated, I mean, why do you say that? Is it still, do people still raise it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They still raise it at public meetings invariably and they raise it with you on doors. Uh, why? Because, uh, like Terry's uh, opening remarks there, where she, uh, you know, passed over the uh, three more minor figures who have ended up in prison. That's the view of the public, too. They, they, they noted that, but they are more concerned about people at more senior levels uh, and so on without specifying any individual. And they continue to raise it. And it's very difficult to explain that it is not the job of government to actually uh, target people for prosecution and so on. And it's seen as a lame and a weak answer. So that, uh, in fact, this will be a very interesting case uh, if, it, if it happens. There's another problem here, uh, and if I do refer to a case that has happened, if we look at the case of Jim Lacey, who is the chief executive of National Irish Bank, I think he had to step down from his position there in the mid to late 90s, and it wasn't until, I think, 2011 that the legal processes involved in his case came to a conclusion. Yeah. So our legal processes justice are... Justice delayed is justice denied. Correct. Is that and yeah. there's a frightening constipation in our legal system and a complete lack of apparent urgency by our legal luminaries in addressing that. Mm-hmm. Um, just in relation to David Drummond and, and the banking issue, I mean, what did you make of the, the, the... I suppose they didn't do it in the end, but they did think about doing it, the idea of taking evidence from David Drummond by, by video link. I mean, that would have been a travesty, wouldn't it? I would have thought so, that here was somebody who was allowed to get his view out, but the capacity of those who might disagree with him to question him or to... Uh, hold him to account that that was very circumscribed. So I, I think they made a mistake in in openly contemplating that. Mm. I can understand why they would want to have got well, him. Hamlet without the prince, uh, kind uh, of stuff. Uh, yeah. Exactly, and I can understand that. But I agree with what Cormac has said. It would have been wrong, and I think in hindsight it was wrong to submit to the master of the universe from the ECB in the manner that it was done. That was kind of farcical, wasn't it? It was a pity that uh, they they agreed to that. Again, I can see why they did, because the role of the ECB is so central uh, and uh, so on. But, I mean, it does highlight, again, the extraordinary strictures that are on this inquiry and that have been on this inquiry. I mean, I was a member of the Dirt Inquiry and uh, we didn't have anything like the constraints on us. Did you have a, a barrister there saying, oh, you can't ask that question? When, at that no, uh, no, we didn't. But we had a very excellent barrister and uh, Frank Clark in uh, advising us. So, I mean, we spent weeks. Now, of course, uh, a very senior judge. I think, indeed, yeah, yeah, indeed. We spent, uh, you know, months uh, preparing and all the rest. And the CNAG had done his report and we examined on that. Uh, but the strictures that are on, I mean, one member of this inquiry told me that that he uh, that they have been warned 
that they may not betray a hostile demeanor in their questioning. Oh, for God's so, sake. you know, I mean, of course. Well, maybe that's no bad thing. I mean, no, no, what you have is an inquiry uh, conducted by people who are incompetent in the technical sense. The people who are conducting the inquiry are highly competent as politicians, but they are not competent to address the subtleties of argument presented by some of the witnesses who presented conditional apologies that were not probed and who were not questioned in any kind. One of the things when you're teaching people to do uh, cross-examination is that you need to approach it from six different angles so that they can't get a narrative going and so that they end up being truthful because of the randomness of the questioning. And there was none of that. It was each person had their five minutes of fame and sometimes one of the people would do very well and get somebody to a point where something was about to be issued or revealed and then, bump, we were off to somebody else on a different topic. I think it's important important though uh, to to explain that 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 is because of the strictures uh, on them more so than their inability to ask a question the best senior counsel down at the four courts would not be able to function and would not be expected to function within the strictures uh, uh, on on uh, this particular inquiry and therefore following the defeat of the referendum and I think the government itself uh, myself included uh, have to take uh, a large measure of the mm. responsibility for it being narrowly defeated. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, if you think, as I do, that inquiry by parliamentary committee is an essential part of an effective parliamentary democracy uh, and, uh, and of parliament itself, then we need to redraw uh, that referendum and we need to put it to the people again. Last word to you in this conversation. I voted against that referendum, I have to say, because I didn't like the idea of politicians. I thought it was a danger to politicians that would grandstand and it would turn into a witch hunt. I like the idea that this inquiry can't cross-examine in that kind of way. I think it should be a fact-finding exercise. I think it's actually done a decent job in doing that. Would, do you agree or disagree? I would disagree with you. I, I voted for that referendum and I... Of course, politicians are going to grandstand. Uh, you know, dogs are going to sniff at other dogs. Uh, that's the nature of the beast. But the point is, if you look at the Abby Lara judgment, which the Supreme Court handed down, or the various judgments by the various judges, that almost makes it impossible for the Oireachtas to hold a backward-looking inquiry. It's effectively saying, you're a parliament, your job is to make laws. Well, it, it sorry, says, sorry, sorry, no, sorry. But it says quite clearly, you can't make negative findings against Joe Citizen. No, no, no it, it, it goes much further than that. It, it's, it's almost saying, your job is to make laws. You may hold inquiries that effectively are forward-looking, where you're contemplating drafting new laws or where new laws may be needed and past errors reveal that. It's all, some of the judgments specifically said that the Oireachtas shouldn't be looking at the Abbey Lara uh, shooting of John Carthy. And I think that's quite wrong. I think... But uh, the Oireachtas had no, had no place looking at that. There's a very strong argument that that was totally outside its remit and it should never have gone down that road. It did have a place to review the behaviour of public servants acting under remits granted by the Oireachtas, point one. Point two, that ended up in a killing. Point three, there then was a judicial inquiry uh, by Judge Barr, and I, I thought that was a travesty. I thought the conclusions he reached regarding the individual guardie 
who who conducted that operation were quite wrong. And I thought he demonstrated the negativity and the almost asking questions with negative demeanour. He did what members of the Oireachtas are prohibited from doing as a result of judgments by his colleagues. And I think we need to be wary of judicial power grabs and I think it is right and proper that Parliament should be able to conduct backward-looking okay. reviews as Strong well as forward-looking ones. Uh, Terry Pauly, give you the last word. Very established uh, pre- precedent in fighting with you. Let me fight with you over your thing of a fact-finding expedition. For the love of Jesus, the fact is that we had every reasonable journalist in the world exploring everything to do with banking for at least eight years. We had many of them writing splendid books on the topic. Mm. So you're saying that it makes sense for a bunch of people who are not trained to investigate anything to get extra facts. Well, what extra facts mm. did they get? One of the things that so, they got inquiries, was... Some of the inquiries led by people who were trained to do it didn't, didn't tell that, us an awful lot either and point. went on for 15 years. That is years. purely a distraction. The point that I'm making is that in this... You thought this, it was very much the point, but anyway, go This on. instance, you cannot point to a new fact that was adduced by the banking inquiry Maybe process. that's because we know everything at this stage. So why are we paying millions to have this thing? Okay. On that note, uh, we, uh, of course, if the uh, the banking inquiry, I think I'm right in saying, I am right in saying if, if there's a general election, the banking inquiry uh, falls. Mm. And we're going to talk about that after this short break. Yeah, that's Republic of Ireland manager Martin O'Neill uh, speaking from Warsaw yesterday ahead of tonight's uh, final group qualifier. Pat Rabbit was uh, very anxious there, asked me what time he was getting out of here. He is uh, settling down, I think, for an afternoon in front of the television. There, rugby said, is it 4.45? 4.45, kick off. And then yeah. 7.45 in Warsaw that's for right. the, uh, the game. You're looking forward to it? Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a rare uh, occasion uh, to have a combination of two such significant uh, encounters. Um, what happened in the Aviva was mind blowing, and uh, you know it was r- extraordinary, wasn't it? It was extraordinary to go to a game thinking you know one or two nil defeat wouldn't be bad here. To actually, after about sixty minutes, going you know maybe a draw is on, and then seventy minutes going, oh my god, could we actually beat the world champions? Yeah, we got the actual uh, r- result in reverse in Poland, Scotland, from what we were calculating before the Aviva because we expected at best to get a draw in the Aviva. In the event, a different result would have uh, automatically qualified us. Yeah, and people were cheering when they heard (laughs) Poland had equalised because we thought that's what we needed, but actually it would have been great if they hadn't equalised. I suppose your question, uh, uh, Martin O'Neill is, uh, I I think, a super guy, uh, a really, uh, you know, considered cerebral bloke. Yeah. Uh, Question why Shane Long you know, now that Robbie's legs aren't up to it, I mean, he's great faffing around America and all the rest, but uh, he's not uh, hes not the force he was. Uh, well, you worked out pretty well. You bring him on when German legs are tiring and he... Uh, it worked out amazingly well. But he must be asserting a very strong case uh, for first consideration. He must be. Uh, Cormac Lucy, uh, you'll, you'll be watching both as well. Obviously, the, the rugby, people would have thought this w- would have been the bigger game almost, but in, in some ways it's almost uh, the forerunner for the soccer international. Correct, and a huge a huge amount riding in, on both games. And one of the things about uh, the rugby is it's now accepted that it's a 22-man game. So it's not just the 15 you send out at the start, mm. but it's the, it's the subs you bring on later and, and the, the, the effect of impact subs. And I just wonder if Shane Long isn't more effective as an impact sub yeah. 
coming on when his opponent's legs are a bit tired than putting him on from the first minute and maybe diluting his impact. Yeah, talking a about a 15-man game, uh, I presume you all saw uh, 13 men from Australia holding uh, holding out uh, against Wales, uh, uh, Wales who were camped on the line for the entire 10 minutes while the two guys were in the sin bin. And by my count, they crossed the line three times uh, but couldn't, uh, couldn't, ground the ball. couldn't ground the ball. Yeah, uh, it was an amazing uh, period of play. A Terry ferocious physicality uh, on display. Oh, and I, I, to I be honest, I think we're going to see the same yeah, uh, against fr- France. Frightening physicality, I think, at times when you watch it. Terry, I know you won't be glued to the television screen. No. I think it was, was it Harold Wilson in 1970 who famously lost an election because England went out of the World Cup, or at least that was one of the reasons attributed to it. I mean, if Ireland were to win both games today, would it... It would, would it force Enda Kenny to say, well, you know what, now's a good time to go to the polls? I would suspect that um, the whole thing of this, when is Enda Kenny going to call an election? You're fascinated by it, aren't you? I am fascinated by it because it is such a bottle of smoke. It is such a nonsense. I mean, on this programme about three weeks ago, I said that the likelihood was that the government would run its course to the end of its course. And then all hell broke loose. And I've actually written a thing for the examiner tomorrow about the fact of why people leak. Because this was largely driven by leaks. Leaks of people close to the theatre. Mm. Leaks of people I mean, close Stephen to Collins the story. I mean, when I read that, on, was it Wednesday or Thursday? or I think it was Wednesday morning or Thursday morning. Um, I sort of said, oh, right, there's actually something in this. Because, like, Stephen... <laughs> is you know, so respected. So respected. And, and it changed the he tenor doesn't, of Stephen the whole doesn't do thing. flyers. And so I thought, he's got this from a very good authority. The Taoiseach is seriously thinking about this. Yeah, and everybody today has things about uh, the 10 reasons why the government should go to the polls. Uh, uh, Conor Brady right now. Conor Brady has 10 reasons in Sunday Times. But the thing is that they they add up logically but they're predicated on an assumption that people vote logically. People do not vote logically. They vote from a mixture of loyalty, venom, rage, hope and, and, and they, also vote, they also vote kind of reluctantly as well. I, I, I expect <laughs> people aren't true? waiting with bated breath for no. elections, Cormac, are they? No, I don't think so. And I, I think if you look at how, say, Bertie Ahern called the 2007 general election, there were no leaks. There's no great evidence that he consulted with anybody. He just went. And I think Enda Kenny's mistake here has well, been there was one to leak out to the loud. Sunday end, though, but that was literally on the, uh, the night before on Go yeah. to the Oris, uh, Exactly, and if, if uh, I just looked at the Paddy Power booking odds, bookies odds uh, for the timing of the next election, and about a month ago, seventy-two. They were expecting a seventy-two percent chance of an election next year. Yeah. In the middle of this week, that was down to thirty-five percent. This morning, it's back up to eighty-four percent. So, what the bookies odds are showing is that in the middle of this week, thought, it looked like there was there was going to be an election this year. And now after, uh, I I think what Joan Burton has done by signalling her disapproval of this, she has made it more difficult for Enda Kenny to go now. Because if Enda's going to go as a Taoiseach of a successful government, it's very hard to sell that message if you've got a very publicly disgruntled coalition partner Mm. uh, disagreeing with you. Pat Robert, is is it hard to disagree with Joan Burton? If you're in, if you're in Enda Kenny's shoes, I, I never found it hard. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> uh, I, I I think uh, you know Terry says what she uh, what she said here three weeks ago, uh, but of course the Taoiseach only ten days ago 
laid a wager with Ivan Yates, who had predicted that the election would be on November 20. Yeah. And the Taoiseach said nonsense, and I'll uh, bet you 100 euro. A couple of people writing today, and it's funny, I hadn't really thought of it but uh, until, until I read Jodie Corcoran uh, being one, I think John Lee as well. So has, has the Taoiseach made a bit of a horlicks of this? Has he kind of... Is, he, is there is there mi- too many mixed messages coming from from the teacher, or does it ultimately matter? Again, is this just a story I, I, for the bubble? I honestly think that this is the ultimate bubble story. What people were concerned about last week was would Wes Hulhan be fit again, or would uh, Keith Earls uh, cross the line again today? I mean, uh, or the sport, next Mayo manager in your case? Uh, the next Mayo manager is a critically important question. <laughs> uh, so you, you know, people are not. I mean, a great many of us are out on the doors, and uh, people are not asking, uh, are not, not 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 asserting that it's a matter of critical import, yeah. whether it's before Christmas or after Christmas. It, it is, of course, the Taoiseach's prerogative, and we keep kept hearing that during the week as to when to call a general election. That said, in a coalition government, it wouldn't augur well if Enda Kenny was to go to the polls in, in November in defiance of Labour's wishes. No, I, I think it would be important that he would be able to say that uh, he consulted and, if possible, get uh, agreement. I mean, I think that's very important in a government uh, whose uh, cornerstone uh, pitch will be uh, we offer the prospect of continued stability, which is a prerequisite for continued economic mm-hmm. recovery as against the chaos and uh, fragmentation is, is that, on the is other that side the, of the house. Uh, is that the coalition stick then in the next general election? It's, it's stability versus well, chaos? Well, I mean, I, I think it has to be. I, I heard uh, a programme yesterday where um, I've forgotten who the lead Fianna Fáil person was, uh, Timmy Dooley, uh, making the point again that Fianna Fáil will have nothing to do with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil will have nothing to do with Sinn Féin. So, I mean, it is a reasonable question, leaving out the partisan politics of how do we get a government in those circumstances. Uh, so I, I think it's a, it's a reasonable pitch by the two parties in government that they've come through the crucible of the worst economic collapse in the history of the state and now things are looking up. The macro uh, figures, the macro indicators are better than anybody has forecast, mm-hmm. which of course is an entirely different thing than saying it has percolated through to everybody or that there will be any gratitude. I'm not saying that. But I'm merely saying it is a fact that okay. the recovery uh, that the uh, is is uh, manifestly underway. Terry, as a as a communications expert and someone who does advise uh, politicians from time to time, I mean, did Enda Kenny maybe inadvertently get sucked into playing the guess the election game? No, and was well, he I, was he mistaken in I, doing so? I was just amazed by all the speculation because basically Enda Kenny's main theme has been I plan to go to the end of the the term. Yeah. Um, but no, Taoiseach, it's like in the old days of devaluing a currency. Um, you just don't say you're devaluing the currency until the moment you devalue it. Similarly, if the Taoiseach decided in a month's time that circumstances had changed and that he uh, was being advised that he had no choice, then he has to consider that and he would have to go. But the odds, as as Cormac has, has quoted from, uh, yes, um, the odds are against. Uh, but he cannot. I was fascinated by the on TV three the other day. I think it was an Ursula Halligan report, but I'm not sure. There was a soundbite from the Taoiseach saying something and responding to questions about the date of the poll. But then you saw him heading out a door 
And you could hear very faintly that he was saying something like, and you shower, I don't think he used the word shower, are completely obsessed by this. And I thought, that's actually it. His perfect right not to state with absolute hand on Bible certainty that he will go on, say, the 29th of February next year, uh, has been interpreted as being an openness and a speculativeness and a gamble and a dangerous mistake where there's no evidence for that. It is great fun to listen to some of the headlines about the latest minister has said such and such, leaving the impression that the minister came out deliberately intruded into the debate, yeah. when in fact the poor minister was trying to launch whatever he it wants is to talk about he was trying to do. And the only yeah. questions that they were interested in was, uh, you know, it, it's remini- reminiscent of uh, John Bruton's uh, famous reply about the peace process. Mm. I mean, uh, uh, you know, people don't appreciate that ministers can be asked this thing 20 times a day. Did, and, you, ever, uh, did you ever say anything like John Bruton said to a reporter about the, the I think was it the effing peace process? Uh, I, I didn't say it about the peace process, but I have to confess <laughs> I've said worse <laughs> to some... Uh, <laughs> not, not to me, as far as I can remember. Uh, OK, we're going to talk about the budget uh, next, because uh, only two more days uh, to the budget. It is something probably people are concerned about, particularly if they're mm-hmm. going to get an extra grand into their pockets, as the uh, papers are speculating today. OK, Terry Prone, Pat Rabbit and Cormac Lucy are staying with us. Uh, we'll be back in a moment on The Sunday Show. Yeah, something tells me that man will be raising his intensity today. That's Paul O'Connell, of course, speaking uh, yesterday in Cardiff ahead of today's big match against France in the World Cup. We're going to be talking to uh, George Hook about that shortly. We'll also be crossing to Cardiff and Warsaw ahead of what is a huge day for Irish sport. Now, we're going through the Sunday papers with Terry Prone, Pat Rabbit and uh, Cormac Lucy. Nice story in the Sunday Times about vinyl sales uh, taking off. Uh, in Ireland, again, sales of vinyl have reached their highest level in 20 years. Uh, Siobhan Maguire uh, writing, the number of albums and singles sold in 2015 already surpassing uh, the total for last year. Um, Pat Rabbit, are you a fan of vinyl? Well, I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good enough judge uh, to know the difference. Uh, You'd be surprised if you, if you, if you compared the two. It yeah, is quite it, it is claimed that 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 the sound is is better. Um, it's kind of remarkable, given that technology generally has been to improve uh, quality. That's the whole thrust of technology. But that story has appeared in uh, in a few papers uh, in recent times. That uh, we're, we're going back, back to the future. I just like the feel of mm. vinyl. And, mm. uh, you know the big album. Uh, tell me this: what, Do you remember the first uh, first record you bought? <laughs> I do actually. It was Hound Dog <laughs> by Elvis Presley, who was wow. a positive revolution in the mid fifties or well, late. That's 50s. not a bad. That's not a bad claim for your first uh, record, yeah. uh, Cormac Lucy. Uh, well, certainly, I, I, I love vinyl, but I've kind of moved over now, and everything's on CD or electronic. Uh, and uh, my first album, I think, was, was something about Black Sabbath. So really? something Were to rock away by. All tastes. Okay. <laughs> Terry Prone, your, your first? Um, my first LP, I remember I won as a prize in some kind of a competition and it was the Left Bank Bearcats who were a traditional jazz band. I'm very much into traditional jazz. But I was terribly shocked recently because we think of vinyl as way back there. But I had this little corridor in my house and all of my CDs are face front on shelves on it because you can't find a CD unless you can just immediately look at the broad face of it and a 27 year old young woman arrived in was visiting me and she stopped when she came to the CDs and she began to laugh and 
for her, it was kind of like stepping back into history. It Having was CDs. charming and quaint yeah. and anachronistic. I had such a desire to hit her. <laughs> <laughs> now, the thing about vinyl coming back is that it's part of a trend in some odd areas. I was doing a thing for Retail Ireland this week, and they, some of the international speakers were talking about shopping coming back into shops as opposed to online. And clearly, this is one of the things people who bought discs, vinyl discs they always loved shopping for them Mm. going for them, looking at them turning over the the back of them to see the tracks, all of that, so maybe it will revive disc shops Yeah, okay. my first single was nowhere near as trendy as any of yours, it was Shawadi Wadi Under the Moon of Love which is is, That's kind of sad That is kind of sad Listen, uh, let's just move on to a couple of other stories before we go Um, Pat Rabbit, Paddy the Plaster is back according to page 15 of the Sunday Times he and Chris Wall are working on Lorraine Clifford's campaign, Lorraine Clifford's standing in uh, in Dublin uh, Fingal good candidate uh, an uphill struggle I think to win a seat because th- there's probably one seat there for Fianna Fáil um, obviously you have uh, Dara O'Brien there as well in that constituency but uh, the, some of the old Drunkandra Mafia there's still, they're still the boys are back yet. in town yeah. <laughs> the boys are back in town talking about records and uh uh, so on. Well, I, I, I wish uh, I wish this young woman uh, all the best. The lads have a lot of experience, and uh, obviously access to a few bob. And both of those things are essential in an election. It was a good line from Chris Wall saying something about you know I'll do my bit, and then Paddy will plaster in the rest. Any other gaffes, Paddy will plaster in the rest. So I think they they do see the funny side as well. Listen, Cormac, we should talk about the budget because coming up in in, in two days' time, um, quite a bit of coverage across the papers today. Uh, Megan Green, one of those sort of saying, look. If the government was sensible, it wouldn't spend any money. You'd have you'd have a neutral budget. I think uh, Colin McCarthy on this programme said last week what the government should do is have no budget at all. That would be ideal. Well, I suppose you've got the conflict of politics and economics. Yeah. So and politics uh, always wins, doesn't it? Well, certainly in the short run. Uh, and the government's primary... And in the long run, we're all dead. Yeah. Exactly. So the government sees its primary duty as to secure re-election. And the Sunday papers today are chock-a-block with uh, goodies that are allegedly coming down the tracks for the budget. Not just the $1.5 billion for next year that the government has already announced, but maybe some extra spending allowed this year to get in under the rules. Uh, but then the economic uh, commentariat, of which I would be a member, are pretty universally against this. So you have Megan Green under the headline, Expansionary Budget is a Foolhardy Move. Uh, Stephen Kinsley in the Sunday Business Post talking of a pageant of impossible promises. Is it Cormac Lucy's writing about in the Sunday Times? As well, well, I'm 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 uh, looking at Renewal's flat tax. Well, oh, you are the flat tax proposal. Yeah, yeah. you're not. Well, you, you're. I like the idea. Co- like I it. don't like their specific working of it, and I think all very well in theory, but not in practice. But, but coming to the electorate with a proposal that has a big uh, budgetary hole in it isn't a good idea, and I think that's that's the problem with their specific proposal. There's a big funding gap. And which they're saying would be bridged by increased compliance and revenue buoyancy. Uh, but I'm not sure we should be relying on that. But, but I think there's a more general point worth making here, and that is the, the political narrative from Fine Gael and Labour over the last eight years, ten years, has been that Fianna Fáil recklessly drove the economy over the cliff and that by following the Charlie McCreevy dictum, if you have it, you spend it. But now here, essentially they are doing the same. 
they have it and they're spending it. And I, I don't think it's because Fine Gael and Labour are uniquely pernicious or that Fianna Fáil are virtuous. I think it's because whoever is in government in Ireland faces enormous spending pressures and it's easier, particularly with an election looming, to capitulate to them than to hold the line. Pat Rabbit, isn't that a fair point? The government have been saying all along, we're not going to go down that McCreevy route. Yet what happens, or what has happened in the last few days, you have this extra money left over in terms of extra tax receipts and it's been doled out, been doled out to health, it's been doled out to the... Now, you, you can say all very good causes like the uh, the Christmas bonus, but it is, you have it, and you're spending it. Well, I think what has changed uh, are the new European fiscal treaty yeah, rules. Yeah, you're getting around those rules by spending uh, it this year instead of next, yeah, though, but aren't I you? I mean, they, they are very restrictive, and uh, whereas Cormac can fairly make the point about many members of the economic commentariat saying, uh, you know, uh, steady as she goes... Um, you have had people like John Fitzgerald, uh, whose analysis says that uh, 1.2 to 1.5 spend uh, qualifies as a neutral budget in all of the circumstances. So, I mean, for all the goodies that you might read but, but in Pat, different newspapers... Pat, sorry to cut across you. The problem is it's not 1.2 to 1.5 because you're spending 1.5 billion of this year's money well, as well. Uh, well, I mean, you've had two... So it's kind of... Is it... Is it you've, am I wrong in saying, Cormac, it's actually 2.7 you've billion? Had 2.3, you've had 2.3 billion uh, increase in taxes that uh, were not forecast. 75% of it due... the same 75% of it due to corporation taxes. And, you know, uh, you have a hole in the uh, in the health budget uh, for reasons that we could spend all day talking about yeah, not, yeah. uh, and so on. But uh, my, my general point is that uh, Mrs. Merkel has been successful in imposing on the rest of Europe uh, a, a German uh, paradigm that means that what happened in the Charlie McGreevy days can't happen again. Mm. And whether there is some money left in drawers at the end of the year... Uh, and uh, all the ministers are told to rustle around and put it together and see uh, how can it be best spent in terms of gaps that are there. Uh, That's one thing. Terry, uh, I do want to bring in just before the end on this. I mean, there's an editorial in the Sunday Times today saying, well, what if the government actually said, you know, we're going to spend this money on introducing a proper childcare instead of tax cuts? That, That Surely they'd get support for it. Would they, or are you better off? No, they off? wouldn't. No. Absolutely, they wouldn't. Uh, childcare is one of those things that is not just local, but individual and of a particular stage in a family's life. And so, although it is a continuum in media as an issue, it isn't a continuum in media in in reality for voters. Uh, it seems to me that I, I I've been impressed by the level of economic discourse that we've just experienced, but I have a kind of a simplistic approach to the budget. I think that from what we hear, the notion of 20 cent extra on a packet of fags is great. The notion of 20 cent on uh, sugary drinks, great. But they never have enough imagination. It seems to me that what if they want to solve the problem of trolley weights, for example, this autumn, they should actually, you know, the £100 water grant, they should give everybody a £100 vaccination grant so that if you could prove that you were vaccinated against flu, you got €100. Euro. That would solve all of the problems this autumn that Leo Radker is facing into without such a grant.
Not a bad idea. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Cherry Prone uh, f- uh, of the Communications Clinic and maybe Health Advisor <laughs> in the future to Leo Branker, um, Pat Rabbit, former Government Minister, and Cormac Lucy, who's uh, writing about uh, the renewal of flat tax in the uh, Sunday Times today. Well worth checking out that column. Thanks to all of you for coming into us.